0: Hey, good morning, everyone, and a special uh, welcome if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, whether for the first time, the second, third, fourth, fifth, or. Uh, but if you still feel like you're, you're visiting uh, here, um, then we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us, um, taking the brave step of, of coming amongst us this morning, and we hope you feel welcome. As Lysander said uh, earlier, uh, please grab a coffee on us uh, at the end of the service, and uh, that might also give us a chance to say good day and to get to know you a bit more. Uh, thanks to uh, Lydia and Lysander for hosting this morning. That was uh, that was brilliant. Nice to see you uh, both up the front, particularly Lydia. And uh, thanks to all of the team uh, involved this morning, music production, etc. Hey, uh, just a quick word on our local legend for this week, uh, Ricky. Uh, thanks so much again, Lysander and and Lydia for mentioning Ricky. Um, beautiful thing about Ricky uh, uh, med- medically, Ricky lives with a hearing impairment, but I've got to tell you. Uh, it doesn't stop him in any way from being one of the most friendly customer service people around. Maybe on the planet, I reckon. Who's interacted with Ricky at some stage down at, at Bunnings? Uh, and, and the really lovely thing was that uh, on Friday when uh, Isaac and Jill went down to, um, to present uh, this very unexpected for Ricky, very unexpected kind of uh, award, it was his last shift at Bunnings Wall's End. And on, on one hand, that kind of makes me sad that, that we've, we've lost Ricky. He's actually moving to a store, a Bunnings store, closer to where he lives down on the Central Coast. But, <laughs> but on the other hand, it was really lovely because he had a send-off, I'm sure, from the staff and team down at Bunnings. But just to be able to send him off as customers, um, as members of our local community, with a thank you for your service, uh, as, as you know, just in the course of doing your duties, going above and beyond... And thank you to whomever it was that nominated uh, Ricky as well. That was someone from our congregation. By the way, uh, if, if you've nominated someone and they haven't yet been chosen, uh, that's okay. We've still got plenty of weeks to go. Uh, so don't uh, feel like... They... <laughs> <laughs> Double the votes, you reckon, AJ? Yeah. Uh, but do feel free to keep uh, nominating people. We've got a number of weeks left. Uh, but I thought that was lovely about Ricky. Well... Um, when I was a kid, I, I was uh, fortunate to have all four of my grandparents uh, still alive through, through my whole childhood. In fact, uh, they've all passed away now, but my last remaining grandparents, my grandfather, uh, died just a couple of years ago at 99. Uh, in fact, he was 99 and nine months, which as a Don Bradman fan, was about as close as you could get to the Don's bat- batting average, I reckon. Uh, so that was very proud. Funnily enough, he didn't want to make 100. He, he was, never wanted to be 100, and there you go. Um, just nature obliged. Uh, but he was a lovely old gentleman. But I have these really fond memories of my, of my grandparents. Although my, I have to say that my memories, fond as they were, of my grandparents, are tinged a little bit by uh, the, the sense I had from a, a very early age that one of my grandparents clearly favoured My sister. My older sister Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca, it seemed, could do no wrong, and I could do a little right. Uh, Might have just been the type of kid I was, I don't know. Uh, And I know, of course, it's easy when you're a kid to kind of imagine things that aren't actually there, you know, Uh, to imagine a thing that's not a thing. Uh, But even Louise, my wife, says, no, no, no. Even when she came into the family, it was clear as day uh, that this particular grandparent really favoured my sister. And that's okay, I bear no ill will towards my sister. Um, Now, This is no therapy session, uh, and I'm okay. (laughs) I don't have to sign up to see Olivia. Um, I've dealt with the trauma. But as kids, with the emotional capacity, without the emotional capacity to kind of process these dynamics, you know, that go on in relationships, it just felt to a little kid like me like this grandparent loved my sister more than they loved me. And some kids in those kind of scenarios might react by returning the favour. Uh, maybe by rebelling or by acting up or acting out. Uh, But for me, uh, it played into my tendency to people please, uh, which I'm still unlearning even now. Um, And it felt like I had to work twice as hard for what felt like half as much love and favour. And maybe you've had a similar kind of experience, that soul-sapping feeling of being the unfavoured one, the other one. The non favourite, being a bit on the outer. Of even feeling like someone loved you a little less than they loved others around you. Maybe a parent, maybe a step parent, stepmother, stepfather. Maybe it was at school, not getting picked for a team or getting picked on instead. Or at work, missing out on a job only to find out that it went to one of the boys or to one of the boss's favourites. Maybe something like that is true for you even now, in your family or or your workplace or at school or something like that. Sooner or later, I think all of us have that experience of feeling like we weren't the favourite one, of not being chosen. Well, what about God? Does God play favourites? Because if we're going to talk, as we have been in this series and will for the coming weeks, about the love of God, then we have to honestly grapple with some questions of why some people come to know God's love and not others. And particularly if we read the Old Testament, we have to ask, was God choosing uh, Israel a case of God playing favourites? What about the other nations? Does God play favourites? It's a question we're going to tackle this morning. I'm really hoping I can get that iPad back uh, with my slides on it. I'm getting a, a shake of the head, all right. If it's helpful, team, then notes uh, should be, no, they may not be there. Um, we'll, just have to, we'll just have to try our luck here. So let me just recap, if you've just joined us today, we are in a teaching series called For God So Loved, tied into that broader So Loved initiative that Lysander and Lydia talked about this morning, in which we're, we're wanting to spur one another on to love and good deeds. In this particular series, we're kind of taking a a, a, like a SpaceX or, or Virgin Galactic level view of the big story of Scripture, the thread, as Isaac said last week, which holds it all together from beginning to end. And we're seeing that thread as God's love and his desire to be present with us, part of our lives in loving relationship to us. So if you've missed our earlier weeks in this series, we saw at the outset That'll be my signal. I'll look around at the... Will that work? There we go. Yay, it's working. The signal works. Um, We saw at the outset that before the story of Scripture even opens in Genesis 1, in a kind of unwritten prequel, which we glean from later episodes in the series, later parts of the Scripture, we find that God exists, but not as some kind of lonely deity out in a parallel universe somewhere. Rather, we see that... There's my next... Signal Subtle, isn't it? Oh, there we go. We see that God exists as love eternally. And while there's one God, within God's rich, internal, eternal life, I'm getting a bit theological here, but stick with me, within his rich, internal, eternal life, are relationships between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And these relationships are defined by love. And then as we saw, courtesy of John Attia, It was out of the eternal existence of God's love that God brings into existence a world. A world teeming with life and goodness, creativity and flourishing. And then the following week we saw that into this world of beauty and abundance appears a special creature which God endows with his own royal family likeness. That is, human beings who bear, as Genesis 1 tells us, God's own image and likeness. And, and we saw that that means that these family members are the royal sons and daughters, tasked with overseeing and ordering affairs in the garden, so that it continues to flourish in peace and goodness, as God intended. However, we saw with Isaac last week the biblical story of the fall in Genesis 3 that reveals to us that something's gone desperately wrong in our own human condition. and that and and that causes us to continually choose to try to structure a world on our terms around our needs and not the needs of others equally to our own. This failure or, or sin, as the Bible calls it, breeds greed, corruption, violence, murder. And also, as Isaac said last week, apathy and inaction, the failure to address, lack or want or weeds or needs. In other words, things go pear-shaped or maybe apple-shaped. We're not sure. It doesn't say exactly. But Isaac also helped us to see that even humanity wreaking havoc on God's good world or on each other couldn't cause God to give up on his love for those he'd made in his image, an image now broken and shattered. Rather, we see a few more chapters into the story, God graciously choosing a man eventually called Abraham and promises to him that through him, all nations on earth would be blessed. And as well as giving us an example uh, of being blessed so as to be a blessing, in the big story of the Bible, Father Abraham, the one of many sons, uh, the promise to Abraham points forward to the fact that God's working an angle. God has a game plan, and that game plan's also been in place before the foundation of the world. And it's a game plan to bring about restoration and reconciliation of all nations through Abraham's family. A plan that may take generations, but a promise that God will ultimately fulfill by coming into the world through Abraham's family in the person of Jesus. All right, who's still with me? We're kind of on that big arc, and we're we're a few episodes in now. We're kind of in season two now, uh, today. Uh, in fact, if, if today's episode was a Friends episode, it'd be called something like the, the one where Israel gets chosen, or something like that. So here's where we're going today, if we can bring up um, that overview slide. We're going to look at Exodus, uh, two, two uh, passages briefly from Exodus, and we'll see that God chooses Israel as an act of love for Israel. But when God chooses Israel, it's also an act of love for the world. And we'll see how that is. And we also will see that even though Israel didn't fulfill its missional purpose, God nevertheless was working out his game plan to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the promise of restoration of his good creation. And we'll also see and wrestle with the question of God choosing today, because God have? Favorites today? Let me answer this that question right now. Does God have favorites? Yes. Might not have been the answer you're expecting. Um, but don't cancel me just yet. Uh, don't end the call. There's more to come. All right, let's get on to it. So, the first point, if we can look at uh, passage, uh, the, the first passage uh, from uh, Exodus 3. Now, uh, if you're visiting with us today, and if this is a little alien and new to you, that, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. Uh, we hope that something uh, speaks to you today. Um, but just to give you a kind of a, 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 a quick idea of what's going on, Exodus is a book in the Bible, uh, which are the Christian scriptures. The Bible has two parts, the Old Testament, we call, we call the first part, and then the New Testament. You may have even heard of those terms. And the Old Testament tells the backstory leading up to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And the New Testament tells the main story uh, of Jesus and then reflects on that story afterwards in the early years of the church. So Exodus is like kind of episode two in the Old Testament. So we're right back almost at the beginning of the story, just a season or two in. And in that story, we find a racially oppressed ethnic group serving as slaves, involuntarily of course, in Egypt... Uh, ancient Egypt under the pharaohs was the regional superpower of the day and this slave people find themselves making bricks as do many modern slaves in places like India or Bangladesh working you know 18 hours a day in the brick kilns uh, even in our world today except back then there was no IJM No A21, no modern human rights movements or anti-slavery organizations. So the ancient people of Israel, under these conditions, oppressed by a, a regional, if not global, superpower of the day, had no hope of freedom or justice, except for the God of freedom and justice. So we read in Exodus 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God sends a man named Moses, a kind of William Wilberforce of his day, but but so much more besides. And he sends him in this kind of commissioning, fiery commissioning moment in the desert with these words. I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries and am moved by their suffering. So I have come down. And the image here is a beautiful image. It's the image of the God of all of the universe, who before there was design theory, designed supernovas and star systems beyond measure, And this same God, who flung the universe into the far reaches, this same God we see in this image bending down to hear the cries of an oppressed and suffering people, his children. And here's the point. Don't miss this. From the outset, the story of God choosing Israel is a story of compassion and love. There's nothing about the Israelite people to commend them to him. Israel is not the, the nation you'd pick in PE. It's not the nation you'd vote most li- likely to succeed in the 1270 BC Yearbook of Nations. They are, by all human accounts, weak and unfavored. But the God who favors the unfavored hears the Hebrew cries, makes good on his promise to Abraham through the series of historical events that we call the Exodus. And if you know the story, God promises Israel a land of its own, you can see that in that passage, and puts Moses in charge of leading them there. We're not going to go into all the details of the Exodus, but you can read on from chapter 3 in Exodus to fill in the blanks. But that brings us to the second point, which is this. that God's choosing of Israel, while being an act of love for Israel, was also an act of love for the world. When we look at it from that high level. And we see this uh, firstly in Exodus 19, 1 to 4. Uh, we'll just skip on to the passage. Thanks, you're doing a fabulous job, actually. Carly, that's brilliant. There we are. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, so after the exo- Exodus, as we call it, um, the name of the book, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai, sort of on the Uh, the the modern Sinai Peninsula uh, in Egypt. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of a mountain. This is a familiar story to some of you, I'm sure. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself." So after the dramatic exodus from Egypt, this newly rescued people gather at the foot of this mountain. And God ascends the mountain and God s- speaks these words and reminds them about how he's... And he gives this picture of like an eagle carrying the people to safety. And he goes on to say in the next part of the passage, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites. So Moses goes back, summons the elders, and sets before them all the words of the Lord. Now there's more there than we can unpack today, but a few helpful things to note. Uh, Firstly, if covenant is a new word for you, uh, it, it refers to an ancient form of contract or agreement we might say today. In this case, it's both a kinship agreement, a kinship covenant, and a kingship covenant. In other words, an agreement to be family with God as father. But not only as father, it's also an agreement that God will be the king of Israel. So it's got those two sort of components. And then God says, you will be my treasured possession. And in Hebrew, this is Sagala. And Sagala often refers uh, in ancient times to the special treasure belonging privately to a king. So there's this idea of very special, very treasured, private uh, uh, treasure. It's a pretty powerful personal kind of image. So, is God playing favourites here? Well, if you read just verse 5, you might think so. But nevertheless, we see from the very next verse that God's choosing Israel was not merely that they might enjoy this privilege of being God's treasured possession. They were also to be a kingdom of priests and a holy na- nation. Now, uh, some years ago, in a very different career, uh, I was, uh, for a while, a member of the Qantas Club. Anybody been a member of the Qantas Club or is it Yep, You'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe others have kind of looked on longingly from outside, thinking, I wonder what goes on in there. Um, by the way, if you are a member, um, do you mind if I get your number? Um, <laughs> flying soon, and mine's long uh, run out of. Anyway, I've never flown first class, never flown business class, uh, except a couple of times when I was upgraded. But with my Qantas Club membership, um, I was able to, you know, wait for flights in the lounge. It was kind of comfortable. There's food and uh, um, other things uh, to enjoy. Uh, but. The other thing with the Qantas Club membership, and the reason that I had it in part, wasn't just for my comfort when I was travelling, but I was able to invite in another guest to use the the lounge and to eat and wait in comfort, etc. And and one of the key reasons I had that membership was not only because I flew a lot, um, but it meant I could invite in other guests for meetings. We could hire meeting rooms and and hold them there on site at the airport. Um, Or, particularly, I could provide hospitality to international visitors, uh, in the the job that I was in, we were always hosting people, and this was just an act of hospitality That's how I justified anyway did it Did it work? Um, no, it's true anyway. The point is that while while I did get to enjoy the privileges of being a member of this club, a kind of chosen uh, one I mean I paid for the cho- choosing privilege, but there were privileges intended to share similarly, when God chooses Israel, it's never with the intent purely for Israel to enjoy the privileges of being his chosen people, his treasured possession. Israel was intended to share those privileges with the other nations. And the Old Testament scholar uh, Douglas Stewart puts it like, like this. I think he says it well. He says, "...the Israelites were not to be a people just for themselves, enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world." Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. In other words, the challenge to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation represented the responsibility inherent in the original promise to Abraham. You will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed. So do you see how this is kind of linking up with the promise to Abraham? This is another key moment in the unfolding of that big story of God working towards the fulfilment of his promise to Abraham that all nations on earth would be blessed. And Israel is intended to have a role where they are not only set apart for themselves to kind of become a holy club, but they were set apart, that is made holy. But Made holy in this context particularly means to be set apart for God's use. And the use that he's setting them apart for includes becoming priests to the nations, what is it the priests do? Priests stand between people and God, and God and people. And Israel was to stand between the God that they had come to know by His grace and and loving deliverance in the Exodus, and the other nations, and to be His witnesses, His priests to those nations. If we carry on, we can see it up there that Douglas Stewart again puts it this way. Priests stand between God and humans to help bring the humans closer to God and also to help dispense God's truth, justice, favor, discipline, and holiness to humans. Israel was called to such a function. Who's who's following so far? Who's still with me? Yep, okay. To be able to do so, though, Israel had to be set apart. It had to be different to the nations around it. You're not going to attract other nations to be like you if you look exactly the same, if you worship the same gods, if you behave in the same way, if you live by the same rules precisely. And so God calls them to stand out. Unless you look different, why would anyone want to have what you have? So how exactly was it that they were to be a priestly nation? Uh, let's go back to Stuart again because he says it um, so well. These four points. Oh, no, that was right. Thanks. Yeah, these four points. He says, The answer is, is not spelled out in Exodus 19, but it surely was to take place in four ways. Firstly, Israel would be an example to other nations who would see its holy beliefs and actions and be impressed enough to want to know personally the same God the Israelites knew. Secondly, Israel would proclaim the true God and invite people from other nations to accept him in faith. Thirdly, Israel would intercede for the rest of the world by offering acceptable offerings to God and thus bridge the general distance between God and humankind. And then fourthly, Stuart says, Israel would keep the promise of God. Now, of course, if you read on from uh, in Exodus from this moment, you'll know things soon go pretty wrong. It goes wrong in part because Israel majors on the special possession and minors on the kingdom of priests. In other words, they turn inwards and, and sort of keep God's blessing to themselves rather than being driven out into their priestly role. And it also goes wrong not only because it forgets to share its kind of Qantas Club membership and privilege with other guests, it also starts to despise all the plebs waiting out in the economy departure lounge. It, it forgets that holy nation part as well, and instead of being a witness to the one true God of all nation, ch- chases off to worship the gods of the other nations. So it ends up becoming like the other nations. It neither stands as the one set apart, um, but still tries to hold on to the privileges. But here's the good news. God's promise and plan weren't shipwrecked by Israel's failure. It's failure to fulfill its calling to be a kingdom of priests. Because that was never the main plan in God's game plan. God's main plan to bless the world was through Israel. But it didn't rely on them perfectly fulfilling their part of the covenant. It was fulfilled in a son of Israel born in Bethlehem, in the fullness of time. Jesus comes as the true Israelite. He comes as the true and faithful Israel. He fulfills the calling of Israel to bless the nations. He fulfills the calling to be the high priest to all peoples, He comes as the Holy One, the one who's set apart and yet is able to dwell amongst the nations and still show the true God. And he shows the true God in how he lives and what he teaches and most centrally on the cross. He is the one who fulfills the promise to Abraham He is the one who fulfills God's plan to restore and reconcile the nations to himself. It's in Jesus that you and I are chosen because Christ shares his status as the favoured one with us. And so... The Apostle Peter, writing to Christians uh, some years after Jesus' death and resurrection, says, and you'll spot the familiar language here, but you, he's writing to the young church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, echoing very closely the language of Exodus. But then he goes on to say, um, in a sense again, that this status of Israel has now been uh, opened up to include the church. But why has the church been chosen? Why is it a special possession? Just because God, fav- God plays favourites? Uh-huh. It's that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, that you may declare the praises of him. So here's the really, really good news You've been chosen by God, the high king of heaven, the one who spread the stars into space, chooses you. You're now God's special possession. In Christ, as an act of love, Jesus has conferred his VIP benefits to you even when you felt like a nobody the high king chose you so going back to our question does god have favorites what's the answer yes and you're one of them your grandparent might not have favored you even now your parent may favour your brother or your sister or your siblings. Maybe even time and time again, no matter how hard you try, you have to work twice as hard for half the love. Maybe you didn't get picked in school, you got picked on instead. Maybe at work you are passed over, if not picked on. Perhaps even your life feels like it's been one passing over after another. Well, let me say it again this morning. God chooses you. The God who says all the earth is mine, the God who fashions suns and supernovas, galaxies and gluons, sparks and quarks and bosons and Higgs fields and heavens, the heavens themselves, that God chooses you. The God who in Christ dies on a cross for your sin and mine and cries from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do chooses you now if you've come from a certain theological background and you're wondering but what about predestination all of that then I'm happy to have that conversation offline but for now let me say again if you're listening to this whether you're watching online or you're here this morning uh, in the building and anything at all is stirring in you in response let me say again you are not forsaken You are chosen. And if you need to hear that for the first time this morning, or you need to hear it for the first time in a really, really long time, or if you need to hear it, really hear it in your heart, then let it sink in deeply today. If you want that to be true for you this morning, then it is. Accept it with joy. And by God's grace, choose to follow Jesus. But it's not the full story, because God has chosen others too. They just don't know it yet. Your job and my job is to let them know that they too in Christ are God's favorites. Now for that to ring true, God may want to tidy up some stuff in our lives so that we stand out, we look different, and we aren't caught up chasing off after the same gods as everyone around us. But the point is that we get to share our VIP privileges with our friends and family because the membership is not just for us, it's also for them. And if you're thinking, but how will I know which ones are God's favorites? Uh, Which ones should I? Well, they all are. If they're made in the image and likeness of God, they're his kids, your next door neighbor your colleague at the next desk, the lady on the checkout at Coles, Ricky at Bunnings, if they bear the image and likeness of their father in heaven, they are his kids waiting to know it. Because God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled through Christ, all nations will be blessed. They will be blessed when they're reconciled to God in Christ and come to accept that it's true for them too to accept the gift that's being offered. Well, here's two questions uh, to help you apply this today. By the way, you still may have questions. Um, These are big kind of theological issues. And as I say, I'm happy to um, have those conversations afterwards or offline if you need to work those things through some more um, or want to clarify some things. But here are some two questions to help us apply this today. What's the next step that you need to take today in light of this sermon? I don't know what that might be, but what's the next step for you to take? Is it to accept this for yourself for the first time or for the first time in a long time? If so, come speak to us after the service. Let us pray with you. Or is your next step to to be baptized, to take that step of publicly declaring that you are choosing to follow the one who has chosen you in Christ? Is it that you need to seek some counseling to help find some healing from past hurts, or to bring that, that hurt to the cross and lay it down and let God's greater choosing wash away the years of feeling forsaken? What is it the next step that you might need to take today? Is God putting his finger on something? Is he saying, is he speaking to you by his spirit? If you're not a person of faith, and this is kind of resonating with you a little bit, you don't fully understand what's going on, but something in you is stirring up. There's there's no great long journey you have to go on to encounter the God who chooses you. He is just a prayer away. He is wanting you to know him. Now, today, to accept the gift that he is giving you and to start out in a personal, personal relationship with God. If that's you, then let me encourage you. Let's make that happen today. There's no mystery behind it. It's a matter of turning to God, accepting the gift and turning away from all that other stuff that's held you back all these years come and come and pray with us after the service and then secondly the second question is how can you help someone else discover that they're God's favorite too can you do it with practical love like we're talking about in the so love series can you love someone who lives with loneliness or rejection can you do it with words not just actions can you send a note Maybe grab one of our So Love cards for someone. Write a letter, make a phone call, send an email. Have that conversation with your neighbor that's always just felt a little bit too awkward to have. You've been working up the courage to have. It's pretty good news to share. What's the next step? And how can you help someone else discover this wonderful truth? As the music team comes up, we'll close with a song. But let me just pray in closing today. Lord, who am I? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me, would ransom me, would die for me? Who am I that the God who created the cosmos would choose me, pour out his favor on me. Where others might forsake me, you pour out your favor, the favor of a loving father. You call us your child. Lord, I pray that we would know that in our heart of hearts, that it would sink deep into our our spirit, that it would change something inside of us, that it would heal something inside of us, that it would stir up something inside of us, a yearning of gratitude and joy to know the one who has chosen us, who has made us in his image, who's always had a plan to bless us and for us to come to know the blessing of Christ reconciling us to you. Lord, would you make that real and true for us in a fresh and powerful way this morning? As we sing these words now, may they resonate not just in our heads, but in our hearts. May we sing them not just with our lips, but with our whole being. We praise you and we bless you for the blessing of Christ. Amen.